Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to the More Than Corporate podcast. I cannot put into words how excited I am for the guest that we have today. Ian Stumbo, also known in our amazing community as Drake. The You guys have heard me talk about Tough Mudder, World's Toughest Mudder, what that has meant to me. The people in this community, including Ian, are so fantastic and they all have these incredible stories. And I'm super excited for you to hear Ian's, his background through construction, through management into, you know, what's going on in his life now, how World's Toughest Mudder and the obstacle course racing community has helped in his confidence, in his growth, in his belief in himself. It is going to be a fantastic episode filled with so many nuggets that you can take into your life. Before we bring him on the show, I just wanted to take a second to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Mastermind. If you are ready to finally design the blueprint for the life that you want to have, surround yourself with the people who can help you execute that and gain the tools in your toolbox to make that possible, click the Calendly link underneath in the show notes so that we can jump on a call and start letting you live the life that you have always wanted. With that being said, Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Amber. How are you? I'm amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show with me. This My pleasure. has been a little bit in the making. We talked about this a while yeah. back, and I think <laughs> it's been just finding like the universe, finding the right time for both of us, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I feel this is the perfect time for this. I'm so. excited. So let's get to know you just a little bit. Where mm -hmm. are you from? So I'm from, uh, I was born in Ventura, California, um, but when I was two, my parents uh, got this crazy idea to run a bee farm in northern British Columbia. We lived there for seven years. My daughter, I mean, my sister was born there, so she has dual citizenship. I'm way more Canadian than she'll ever be. <laughs> um, <laughs> a little brat. Uh, but uh, we, we lived there for seven years. It was great because it's a, a little town called Dawson Creek. No, it's not. You're kidding. The show. So, Do you want to know where my dad was born? Where? My dad was born in Fort St. John and grew up in Dawson Creek. Are you? Wow. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. Because I'll never forget that there's a, that the Peace River goes right. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to cross the Peace River to get into Fort St. John. Yes. And uh, um, that is a huge river. It's always running, you know, as opposed to, you know, California or a lot of other places around here. It's just, everything's just dry. So, I am never amazed, or I'm always amazed when I do these shows at how small the world is. Yes, yes. It's insane. Have you been up there? I have. I've been up to, so a lot of my family still lives in Calgary, and then they still live across. Oh, wow. Yeah, gorgeous in Calgary. Um, and then they still live in um, Prince Rupert in British yep. Columbia. Yeah. Um, so there are some on, that live On the there. coast? Yeah, that's a little teeny town in the middle. So, of, I mean, there's nothing there. Well, that's there's cool. a couple people. Yeah. Um, so some of them fish. Yeah. And then when my aunt or my uncle used to do um, in Calgary, he used to do figure eight racing. And wow. so we would go up there all the time. We had our family reunion up there and then Taylor as well. Taylor, British Columbia, they live. Wow. There. So um, my dad's side of the family is all still up there. That's cool. Yeah. That's very so, cool. Anyways, Beautiful not place. about me, about you, just the small world. So yeah. you lived in British Columbia. You are yep. amazingly half Canadian. I'm thinking this is why we connect. You have that Canadian mentality, right? Yeah, um, I would love to say that I'm half Canadian, but I'm technically all, all Yank, all American. <laughs> uh, my sister is half Canadian though. A little Perfect. brat. But, That's uh, right. 
but yeah, um, I, I, but I, I, I basically popped out of my mom's womb on skis on uh, my, so that's why I'm such a big time snow gangster, super good at snowboarding. First time I popped the snowboard on, I went to the top of Snow Summit in Southern California, went all the way down, didn't crash once. And I'm like, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. So um, I've been snowboarding pretty much ever since. I, I, yeah, I hit 62 miles per hour on the snowboard this season. How Not does one planned. regulate that? Like, how do you know uh, this? It, well, um, I have the Relive app. Oh, okay. So it like basically just followed me all the way around the mountain. And I didn't even plan this. I was just like going down this one hill and I'm like, I'm going pretty fast. Oh, it'll, it'll bottom out. I'm good. I just straight lined it. I just did a full send and just went all out. And then when I did the one and at the end you push stop and then you put all your pictures in there gotcha. and then it, it calculates everything. And then it had a little rocket ship there. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And then it went and hit the rocket ship and said 62 miles per hour. I'm like, Oh, damn. <laughs> probably one of the best days of snowboarding in my life because it was at june mountain which is just north of of mammoth not too many people know about it it's the local place where the locals go and uh it was a perfect day it was it was storming uh, enough to where there was enough fresh snow coming in so it was just free refills all day long i was just doing nothing but tree runs all day long and basically had the whole thing on my gopro and i'm just going in and out of this powder and just oh it's great great day that's amazing. So when you do this, and, and this is a little foreshadowing to what we're getting to get to in just a minute, but when you do this, does the boombox go with you? Oh, absolutely. I have all my videos are with the boombox. Boombox so, is right on my shoulder. What is the significance of the boombox? Like, where did this come from? So the boombox came on when back in 2012, I did my first Tough Mudder with the boombox. And I was like, you know what? I want to bring some tunes with me. It was my third Tough Mudder. Yeah, it was the second time I did the SoCal Tough Mudder and Big Bear. Because when they first did it, the first two times was at the um, Snow Valley Ski Resort going up to Big Bear. And uh, the second, uh, my third time doing a Tough Mudder, because I did the first, first one was there. And my second one was at Temecula. Third one was up there again. And I was like, you know what? I'm bringing a boombox. So I, because I got this waterproof boombox, and I started taking it with me everywhere. And then I made my Instagram, which is Drake Boombox. Real simple. If you guys want to follow me, you can check that out. It's a bunch of friggin' ridiculousness on there. <laughs> and um, that'll be and, in the show notes as well, so that yeah, you guys can um, embrace the amazingness of Drake. Yeah, and I started taking it on snowboard trips in 2013, and. And I'm like, I start getting used to it. So now I'm, I'm really used to it being there. So when I don't have it, I throws off my balance a little bit on my snowboard. I bet. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing double, double black diamond runs with it on my shoulder, going in and out of the trees with it. I'm just like, fuck it. And I got people that know me on the mountain. The lifties know me. And then I got other people that'll yell at me as I'm on the lift or I'm snowboarding down. Like, what's up, Boombox man? I'm like, yeah, what up? So that's amazing. I, and in case anybody who's listening to this is wondering whether the boombox is a metaphor, it is in fact not. Um, he does have a full-sized boombox that he carries through five pounds with him, um, which pounds. is insane <laughs> to me. Like, I'm sitting here thinking 2012, like iPhones were a thing, speakers mm -hmm. were a thing. Like there's a lot of easier ways that you could have gotten music onto a Tough Mudder course. But it wouldn't be as loud. That's the thing. I wanted something loud. I wanted people to know that I was there because I was like, boom, yeah. let's go. I want people to know I'm there. So, and I take it with me running too when I'm training. And I like doing that because if I'm running down like a, like a crowded hill or a crowded um, trail or whatever, so people get the fuck out of my way. So, so when you when you don't have a weight vest, just grab a couple boom boxes, one on yeah, each side. Absolutely. And go, right? Yeah. It's really interesting to me because so much of our lives seems like we are spending this time trying to fit in. Entrepreneurs are looking at everybody else. How did they do it? How do I look like uh, them? And then uh, you go down a black diamond with a boom box and you're just screw it. I got a I got a picture of me up at the top of uh Mammoth um with uh with me with no shirt on and I'm just rocking it with the boom box on my shoulder. Just like, you know, pow, don't mean to brag, but I got a pretty sexy uh, dad bod, okay? <laughs> Belly, 
pretty, you know, hanging out there. I got a badass six pack. You just can't see it because there's a lot of uh, insulation. It's protected. In exactly. So um, I don't give a fuck about what people think. And uh, I don't know if you know Mark Trimmer. You know Mark I do. Trimmer? I love so Mark. You need to have him on this podcast. He needs to be one of your, seriously, he is, he is, he is my life coach. Um, is he? He is. Yes, he is. And, and uh, he's amazing. He is amazing. I love Mark. Just, dude, uh, just amazing no victim mentality, no fucking making excuses type dude. And he sent me a video once and, uh, um, of David Goggins and he lives David around Goggins. here somewhere. Yeah, I know. Jeez. You talk about that. Jeez. That's amazing, dude. So he's Mark sends me this video of, uh, David Goggins running down the street and his, his girlfriend is, uh, probably riding a bike next to him and, and interviewing him. He, and she's like, Oh yeah. Um, somebody asked you, so what do you, how do you feel about those that, that judge you? And, and, uh, how do you feel about fitting in and, and people that judge you and this, that, and the other. And he's like, Oh, 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 you mean, uh, trying to be everybody's bitch. <laughs> I was like, Holy fuck. He sent me, Mark sent me this video and he's like, this reminds me of you. And I'm like, I was in tears because this is what I've always wanted ever since I made the change. And it was ever since I started tough mutter, really, I started just not giving a fuck about what other people's think. And I just started really getting out of that mode of living for others and living for myself. And that's what it is. It's like you either try and fit in and then you're everybody's bitch. I want everybody to, I want everyone to get this in your head. If you live for others and you're constantly thinking about how they're going to feel about how you do this or how you do that, or you're worried about what they're going to say and this, that, and the other, you are their bitch. I, that's harsh, I know, but that's the reality. Okay. I'm laughing because the person who edits this podcast, I have a um I have a YouTube part of this that is called Success Sound Bites. And I think that this success sound bite is going to be entitled Don't Be Someone's Bitch. Nice. <laughs> right. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's like you can live once you make that change, once you make and I I celebrate anyone who decides to make that change. And I, if I see them make that change, I seriously celebrate them and tell them how awesome they are. And it, cause it's a big step. Yeah. It's a big step. It was a big step for me when I finally like got out of that mode. I'm like, Oh, no, I, I, I uh, don't want to, don't want to do that. Cause I don't know what my dad's going to think. I, don't know. Oh. I like, I pissed off my dad, I think last year. Cause I, I did something. What did I do? I can't remember. <laughs> I, like, I, which uh, time? Yeah, exactly. I, I think I, I was, um, oh, this was a fun time. So I did a, a Facebook Live and it was the first time I'd ever gone through Chick-fil-A. And I know they're super duper mega religious, right? Well, every other word or every word was a swear word coming out of my mouth. And my dad saw it and he's like, man, you should have, you should have had a, had a bottle of Boone's in your hand. You sound like you're from the ghetto. I'm like, and I straight up told him, I'm like, if you don't like it, dad, then don't watch my shit on Facebook. You know, it's really interesting. And and I want to hit on this for a couple of minutes because I think it's super powerful. Um, I understood this concept logically and didn't understand it on an unconscious level for so long that I was like trying to figure out how to be different. And then at the same time, realizing that um, I was still trying to fit in this in this box. And I had done an interview with somebody named Steve Sims, which you would absolutely love. And he had this in his book called blue fishing. He talks about how he hates the word authentic because he says, anybody who goes around being like, don't hate me, man. I'm just trying to be authentic should like be kicked in the face. Right. Um, and he says, the reason for that is because if you are trying to be authentic, you are by definition being inauthentic, right? You like authenticity is something that you are. You're trying to conform. Yeah, exactly. And so I spent so much time and I know that there's somebody out there listening to this that is in that place that you and I both used to be. I spent so much time trying to be different and it's not different that you need to be. It's yourself. And that is going to set you apart in and of itself. It's not how do I make myself different? It's just what what do I want to do? And then go fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. So for you, you had mentioned that there was this spot where it started to shift for you. What was it during your career? Was it during your college or your education? Like what 
was the point in time where you started to say, dude, this isn't my life. Cause I know I woke up at one point. It was like, I don't know whose life I'm living. Like when yeah, you were it, saying I'm living for somebody else, what was that? What was that time like for you? Uh, it was probably at the tail end of my world of Warcraft, world of <laughs> war crack addiction. I was, I was like heavy, heavy addicted into that stupid game from when it came uh, in 2004. Before that, I was on friggin' Star Wars Galaxies. So really, my online addiction started in 2003 and went all the way to 2009. And then at the end of that, I was like kind of redesigning myself, reinventing myself in a way. I was because at the time when I was doing the World of Warcraft thing, I was still working, but I was also doing like 12 hour, I was still work like on the computer and my game like 10 to 12 hours a day. And on the weekend, it was like 20 hours a day. It was ridiculous. Just, you know, you're doing the grind, you're trying to keep up with your, your guild mates and this, that, and the other. Ugh, I'm not going to go into that anymore. Just don't do that. It's bad. So um, since I got out of that and I started getting outside and like, whoa, the lights, you know, getting out of the house and starting to get into like more physical activities, starting to get back to my doing what I was doing when I was a teenager. Cause I did a bunch of uh, triathlons and riding the bike and this, that, and the other, and got a spin class and um, beat the fuck out of people and enjoy the fuck out of it. It was great. Those are good days. And then, <laughs> and then uh, fucking 24 hour fitness got way too corporate. Um, and so I had to get out of there, had to bail out, but um and started doing some bike rides um, and just uh, just enjoying the hell out of being outside, really. And then started getting into Tough mutters. I'll never forget it. My friend John and, and Ivan, um, who don't even do them anymore, um, they went and we got the, the Hammer Fist Warmongers together. And we did this whole, um, we did the, the Tough mutter together. And it was pretty cool. It, it it's it was snowing on us at the end of the day in california in southern california it does snow of course at the so, end of may Fuck. before we dig into this because i'm so excited to hear about your introduction to tough mutter for and i know how i describe tough mutter but for anybody out there who has no idea what we're talking about how do you describe this so tough mutter was this animal animalistic like um just getting back to your barbaric roots um so everybody's got it you know getting into that caveman like rawr, like just getting out there getting dirty going up obstacles helping people you know really getting into the culture really digging it and it was just totally different i remember when we were training for it for the first one it was like whoa this is so crazy man we're gonna survive whatever and you know sure enough magically hey look at that we survived but tough mutter not to not to downplay tough mutter but tough mutter was really the stepping stone because the thing that really transformed me and you know this is worlds and yeah. i'm usually wearing a world's headband at all times and i'm not wearing one because i just jumped out of the shower I feel like i'm I know uh, displeasing the world, the world's toughest mutter, uh, um, gods. Um, but that was, the, that was the life, that was the life changing event for me. So, and, and just going into that, I had met several different people on my tough mutter journey and it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. Community was great, but nothing, nothing in my opinion can compare to the relationships, the bonds and the, the friendships and the camaraderie and the, and the, just the family and cohesion that we have in worlds yeah, just because you're sure. out there suffering. And the best way I can describe it to people is it is the closest thing that you're going to get. One of the closest things you're ever going to get to being in a squad with four or five other people. And you're literally fighting tooth and nail to get to an objective um, and that bond that you have. Because yeah, and that's what you do out there. And you're all on your own at the same time, which exactly. is so interesting. Exactly. So for anybody, you are, but you're not. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you who are listening, you know, think of a mud run, add some obstacles into it, add some electricity, some heights, some water, um, some ice, um, and, you know, 10 miles 
you um, have, I think 25 obstacles is normal on a Tough Mudder course. Now cut that in half, five miles, um, 25 obstacles in five miles and run that for 24 hours without stopping. And that's world's toughest mutter. And yeah. it's insane because you, I've done it once and it changed my life and I'm on the fence on whether I'm going to do it again. Um, for you, you've done it how many times? <sighs> so I've done it five times on uh, the regular course. So that's four times in Vegas. Cause I did all four, four Vegas runs. And then I did it once I, I skipped 2019 cause my, my, uh, brother-in-law uh, was getting, uh, married and I couldn't get out of it. Um, so which I was in Virginia at the time you guys were down there suffering. I don't know if you were there, but people were I suffering down in Atlanta, like suffering, like it was warmer in Virginia than it was yeah. in Atlanta. It was so cold. We were like, watching videos fuck. of people that were down at the world's toughest mother in Georgia. And everybody had been making jokes all year long about how warm it was going to be Atlanta. down there. And Hashtag then Atlanta. they were drawing pictures in the ice on the obstacles, yeah. which was insane. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I did, and then I did it one year in Atlanta, the last year in Atlanta, which was a good, experience because it was just different because i'd been running in the desert in las vegas which was just you know not really muddy more rocky and in, in hot lanta it was just this mud this really fucking cakey mud that i wasn't used to and uh i i ended up doing it there so i got first year i got 30 miles the last three years in vegas i got 50 miles and then i got 40 miles in uh, hot lanta which i was pretty proud of because i had done knee surgery in july that same Amazing. year. So, so I know there are people listening to this. Some of them were my family and my pit crew. Like I remember when my, when my family and pit crew were there, my mom kept telling me like, I didn't think it was in your best interest to put you back on that course, but I knew that you had goals. And so I wanted to help you accomplish them. And then you cross that finish line and they see the accomplishment in what has just happened. And you kind of forget about all of the pain. And so for anybody who's listening to this, that hasn't been able to experience that firsthand and they're thinking that you are out of your mind why do you keep going back like what is it about this event that keeps drawing you back I have uh very bad friends because they're bad influences on me and they keep on pressuring me to keep going back <laughs> and you thank them every time I know not that it's hard but I get so many people I've already had so many people dude which events are you doing this year this Drake, what the hell? You know, what we, we coming to St. Louis, right? You coming yeah. to freaking Chicago, right? I'm like, no, I just moved. I got to get things squared away. Still got a few more tours of duty and SoCal. <laughs> but that's just the community that we have, you know. Yeah. Just like, it's just amazing. So going into it on my first race that I ever had, my first uh, world, I had, I knew two people, didn't know anyone else. So what is it, you know, it's interesting to me, the, you mentioned the connections, you mentioned the community, and these are all such amazing um, things that come out of World's Toughest Mudder and out of Tough Mudder in general. But I feel like the regular Tough Mudders, the reason that they are so amazing is because of the world's community at them. It's yes. really that connection for me. Mm -hmm. When I don't get that world's connection, then the Tough Mudders aren't the same. So, you know, this idea of connection ripples through your life. It's not just on the course, it's off the course as well. How do you think that Tough Mudder has impacted or these experiences that you've had at Worlds have impacted your life outside of Worlds? And what lessons have you learned from that that you think entrepreneurs could take into their businesses? So I feel that it's, it's taught me more about camaraderie, working together. It's very important to have a good team. Um, also, it gives you confidence. It gives you confidence of what you can do. Like when I first um, crossed that finish line at Worlds, I did the 30 miles, I was crying. I was in tears. I collapsed. Other cool thing I love about Worlds is that I feel like a celebrity there. Like I feel like I'm awesome around these other celebrities that are just regular people. Like, it's not like that we do a massive amounts of laps or whatever. Like a uh, great example, Matthew Lowe. He, he's not known to do a bunch of fucking laps. The mm -hmm. guy is amazing. Did you, did you ever see the what? Did you see the videos of him doing? Like he had a fucking comb 
on the back of his yes. back, and he's like, uh-uh. <laughs> from Spaceballs. Are you fucking kidding me? This guy, shit, yeah. the guy is amazing. I love that guy. Another great idea for a, a guest. He's he's just he's just like one of my favorite people, and and you know, so it just takes all of us, and we get into this you feel like heroes like so I knew two people going into that race right so by the time I got out I know like I knew like 20 30 people at the end of the at the end of that race and when I went it's impossible not to like it's impossible not to know all of those yeah so I got to know I got to be known as the guy with the hard hat the orange hard hat running around and um and so I've, I've gone to all my races with a hard hat ever since 2013 yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about the hard hat for a minute. How did yeah, the yeah. hard hat come into play? <laughs> it was kind of, kind of silly. <laughs> this was my thing. Okay. Cause it was my last Spartan race and it's still been my last Spartan race. Not that I don't want to do them again. I, I still want to do the ultra in Tahoe one day before I left, I die, but I, it was my last um, Spartan race to get my trifecta. It was the Spartan sprint in Malibu in, in December in 2013. And I remember specifically going to that race and it was raining and it was one of the five days that it rains in SoCal. And for whatever reason, I felt that I didn't want to get my head wet. Think about that. Going in a mud yeah. race, don't want to get my head wet. Is that not silly or what? Yeah, that's so I was insane. Around with this red, I mean, with this black hard hat and doing the race. And, uh, um, and then that's where I met Marion burnout girl um and we've been awesome friends ever since and uh i started wearing a hard hat with me everywhere i went and i started to become known and it 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 was easier for me to find my pictures too yeah. and i just like go around and and uh and people just started knowing me for the boom box and the hard hat and i just just kept wearing it so yeah you know this is a really interesting thing because um before people even know you they know hard hat they know boombox and then this kind of breaks down you know it does so many different things it gives conversation pieces it takes away that stress of what am I going to talk about right that you can approach it gives you this sense of personality and humanity and you know you're you're approachable does all of these things and as I'm saying this I hope that you guys that are listening are hearing all of the things that you want your clients and customers to think about you when you market to them right? You want them to think that you're conversational. You want them to take away the, the um, barrier between you and to be able to have something to talk about. So for me, it's really interesting because before I knew how amazing you were, I knew you as the guy that wears the hard hat and the guy that has the boom box and the guy that's like super nice to everybody. Um, and then you learn that you just have this incredible story and this incredible heart and you build this friendship around that but it's so cool to like and and this just goes back to what we were talking about before if you would have tried to fit into that box nobody <laughs> ever would have known that about no. you no and that's and this this is a great great topic i love talking about this topic and uh entrepreneurs those you know listen up you want to be yourself okay the, the more you spend, the more fucking wasteful fucking time, minutes of your life, you're never fucking getting get back trying to fit into somebody else's fucking definition of you or some fucking box you're trying to fit in. That's just a waste, okay? You need to be yourself. And I, I feel that it's, it's, easy, it's, it's so important to be authentic to yourself. If you start saying oh well my mom's not gonna like that oh my dad's not gonna like it if i say that or oh my wife's not gonna like that either you know if you're around a bunch of fucking people that don't appreciate you and then don't support you i'm sorry whether that's your wife your girlfriend your your um husband your you know your kids your whatever the fuck if they're making all these judgments on you and they're saying that you have to change then you probably have to change and get away from them okay Hopefully they'll figure it out. If not, then you'll have to move on because the more time you spend conforming to what everybody else wants you to be, the more unsuccessful you're going to get. You get that? The more unsuccessful you're going to be trying to conform. Do not try and conform. Be you. Be you. Okay? That's the most successful you're ever going to have. And it's like 
Um, once I started to really embrace that and started to go with it, and there were certain things like, I'm like, oh, I started to see that I had a following and this, that, and the other. I'm like, well, I better watch out. And then I'm like, you know what? Those that come along are going to come along and those that don't are just not. Yeah. So, it's interesting because that's the journey. Like there's so many people who take that journey where they're just themselves, right? They don't have that pressure on them yet. They're themselves on, especially in the social media age that we're in now. And then they start to gain a following and they're like, oh crap, now I got to be something better. Yeah. But the people who are following you were attracted to the person that you were. And yeah. so then you change and they're like, who the hell is this person? Like, this isn't who I wanted to know, right? It's like every bad relationship out there where two people are starting to date and they're hiding yeah. who they really are so that they can impress somebody else. Yep. And then slowly the cracks start to show. Yeah. Right. How often do we do this with potential clients, people that you're interviewing, employees, like how often, if you want to create the life and the culture that you um, desire to have, you can only do that if you show up as yourself through the entire way, because otherwise you attract people into your life that you end up spending more time trying to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very, very true. It's, it's so important to create your life that you want and not to try and don't try and win over everyone in life because it's just not going to happen you find yourself trying to conform and trying to win over and just be like oh i really want that one client but he doesn't really you know he's just he's just not getting it this that and the other you know what go get other clients There's other yeah i'm sorry just like keep moving on don't waste absolutely time. just go absolutely. go 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 so for you, how did you make your way into the construction space? Was this always the place huh. that you wanted to go? No. Or how did this happen? No. So those that are in Southern California and that are my age, I'm 43, um, will remember a little thing called the grocery strike back in 2003. <laughs> At the time, I was uh, a grocery worker and had done, had attempted to do college. And I'm like, ah, this just isn't for me. So I just went to back to being a grocery worker and I was content at making 50K a year, working six days a week and always working Sundays because I got time and a half, never taking any um, time off and just banking my vacation, my two week. I was like 26 or something. Yeah, I can't math, math either. Hard. All right. Um, so you're, you're in the grocery business. Yeah. And then it, it crashes because the, the strike happens. Um, grocery workers wanted more more wages and more benefits and Walmart. This is the time when Mar Walmart was really starting to move into the, to the space. Uh, so the day that that happened, I'm like, shit, I got to go to work. I got to keep working. So instead of going to the strike line, getting some pittance for a little money to strike, I went uh, straight to being a carpenter, carpenter's apprentice. I would be the guy, I'd be annoying guy that would know how to build the shit that we're needing to build you put a hammer in my hand, shit wouldn't get built right. But I could tell people how to build it. And because I knew that, they're like, you know, you should go for this other job. This is a, a carpenter's apprentice job, potentially for a potential to go into a, uh, a assistant superintendent job. And this was less than a year of me doing, um, car, uh, being an assistant super, uh, being a carpenter's apprentice, mind you. And I've never done construction before, before this. And then I, I went and interviewed and then they um, ended up bringing me on a few months later when the, when the project um, uh, set off. So, which was convenient because um, I had gotten laid off. I got a, um, an offer in that June of 20 of 2005 for 50 K at the time for somebody that wasn't in college. I didn't do college. I didn't um, have all this experience, had nothing. That was extremely generous. Mm -hmm. and they gave me two weeks off right off the bat. So I was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, and now I'm making more than three times that. So it's, it's just those stepping stones. And, and I, I love that you ask and, and get to know people's stories because it's so important. I didn't realize how powerful my story was until 2012. When you look back at the um, network marketing journey, what do you think the biggest lesson you took from that was? Not uh, expectations uh had high expectations make sure that you have realistic expectations um make sure to understand exactly what you're getting into um make sure that you um know your self-worth um and understanding how to network and talk to people and uh that 
was what kicked off my self-development journey. Yeah. Um, to where I really started taking control and taking ownership of my life and stop being, stop being a victim and stop being such a black cloud. Believe it or not, and I tell people this story all the time, those that haven't seen me in years and that knew me from back then, I would complain about everything. And now I don't, I do my best not to even bring that kind of stuff up. I look at it as a challenge instead of a downfall. You know, all these things that were just like, oh my God, my car tire blew out or my car is broken. I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. I wonder who I'm going to meet or what kind of challenges it's going to bring up and what I'm going to learn from it. Yeah. You know? you know, it's so interesting that you say that. I was having a conversation with David Meltzer, um, if you're familiar with him. Sounds familiar. He is um, the sports agent that Jerry Maguire is based on. Nice. Um, and he was talking about that mindset shift for him. And he says, you know, I started asking myself instead of like, why is this happening to me? the question became like, what have I done to attract this into my life? Right. And so when you're talking about like a flat tire, like that shit just happens. But then yeah. when you wake up one day and you realize that you're surrounded by negative people, that you don't mm -hmm. have the life that you want to have, that your relationships aren't the way that you want them to be personally or professionally. And it, you know, you could sit back and say, man, my life sucks. Like, why does my life suck so much? Or you can start asking yourself, like, what did I do to attract this into my life? And Absolutely. what am I supposed to learn from it? And how do I make these shifts? And I think that's one of the most powerful parts of your story is that you've done that and mm -hmm. you've done it yeah. all while continuing to put your head down and, and move forward in your career, because yeah. I think it's so common. And this is what I deal with so much. It's so common for people to say, oh my gosh, I'm unhappy. I need a clean slate, right? Yeah. I, I got to go. Everything's making me unhappy. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it goes in, in spurts. So it's like, oh, my job makes me unhappy. Let's scratch that. And then you realize that you're still miserable. It must be my relationship. Let's scratch that and go somewhere else. Maybe it's the place I live. Let's scratch that and go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and it's so dangerous. And for it you, is. you've been able to really turn this around piece by piece without wiping the slate clean. I like you that you brought that up, you know, making the changes, but not making the right wrong ones and not just thinking that's going to be a bandaid because yeah. a lot of people make these changes. Like I forever wanted to move from California thinking that was going to like basically solve all my problems. I've been wanting to move ever since 2000. Oh shit. Ever since 2006, when we were trying to move to oh, dang, 2002, we were trying to move to Northern Nevada at the time. Um, and then it, then I got really addicted to Bend, Oregon and in 2012, finally went out there in 2015, loved it. I'm just like, wow. But the thing is, is that where, you know, I can't work online all the time. So I, like yesterday, I was able to work it out to where I worked um, remotely and I can't do that to a certain extent, but I'm a construction superintendent. I have to be on site, have to be coordinating with people. My whole day is just putting out fires and taking care of problems in the field not do that remotely cannot be done yeah so um you know i was always like oh well i just need to move here and then well okay what what's construction uh job market like in in bend oregon as a superintendent they got construction going on but not a lot of superintendent jobs you know and and like what about the work is there going to be sustainable work well it's not that big it's only 200 200 000 people live in the whole valley there so that's not sustainable so I'd have to travel. So that's not good. And then we started looking at Idaho and did a whole trip up there, which was amazing. Idaho's great. Same problem. I don't have an office up there. I'd be looking at a, at least a 33% pay cut. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. California has done so much for me. I mean, as much trash as I've talked about California, it wasn't until this past year with the pandemic and just everything just going downhill so fast. I just, you know, was like, okay, honey, we got to think about the place to go. Um, and finally had to make that, that jump had to like, just felt that it had to happen safety wise and just saving money and all that stuff. And finally said, well, what about Vegas? Vegas. <laughs> Possibility. So it's a biggest, big thing for you guys. If you're going to make those big shifts in your life or need a new job or need a new place, you know, that is sometimes the best thing for you. 
absolutely but do it smart you don't want to yeah. move and then burn all your bridges and then you're done you know like you know it's it's uh it's it's a very very challenging thing to find yourself somewhere and then you're like oh my gosh was this the right move yeah so, for sure yeah. So when you are thinking about making those moves, because we all do them every single day as we're improving, what is the process that you go through to be able to keep yourself in check so that you're not making unnecessary moves that are going to actually set you backwards? Um, well, it's a trial and error thing because I find myself uh, saying, well, just constantly checking and, and taking an inventory of what I've done before what I've haven't done a lot of things that I haven't done, I'll try and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, you know, just take stock of it. It was always good to try new things with everything and with life, with relationships, with, with, um, with, with your relationship, you know, for instance, my wife's relationship, trying, you know, finding better ways to connect with her, trying to find better ways to connect with my kids with work, all that kind of stuff. You know, we talked, um, you mentioned David Goggins earlier today, and he is like a huge failure advocate for lack of yeah, a better word. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one of the things that I think is so important with him is, you know, he talks about these after action reports from the military and how he's incorporated that into his life. You know, you do something, whether it's physical activity or whether it's trying a new thing in your business, like, yes, failures are part of the process. And it's only a part of the process if you find out what worked, what didn't, and you learn from it and you move on. But you have to have that failure in order to, to make that happen. And so many people don't want to experience that. Exactly. Exactly. They, they, they think about the pain, think about the suffering, and they just, they just give up on it. Like, um, you know, doing my whole move. That was huge. And just finally making that step. Um, which uh, was a huge, huge, huge decision. And I knew there was going to be pain with it. And there still is. Um, it's still a challenge because I haven't gotten my transfer yet and don't know when that's going to happen. So I have to drive back and forth to SoCal every week. Um, but it's like, we make those sacrifices in our life because we know it's going to be better. The wife's better off here. My daughter's better off here. My son's better off here, even though he doesn't believe it. Um, and it just, it just much much better all around for the family because they don't have to drive. They don't have to do nothing because my wife now works for works from home. She yeah. told her to do friggin' two years ago. because She hates <laughs> going into the office. She's like, she, she's so funny because she's not one of those social socialite ladies. She doesn't like interacting with a bunch of these girls and talking about the gossip and the bullshit and all that stuff. And she's always complained about it. And uh, I'd always say, well, why don't you just tell them to, you know, honey, you just need to talk to your boss and tell them you want to work from home. They'll never do that. And <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about, you know, don't, don't make your comments. I just, I just want you to listen. I'm like, fuck. You know, but, it's really interesting. Like on, on that topic though, like when it comes to relationships, when it comes to communication, when it comes to anything, like we in the personal development world, tend to be solution-based and it's so hard sometimes and yet so incredibly important to be able to step back and ask the person that we're communicating with, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a, a romantic relationship or a friendship, like, what do you actually need from me right now? How do you want me to show up? Do you want me to listen or do you want me to solve? You know, because th there's a video that I posted in my Facebook community recently. Um, it's not about the nail. Did you see that video? No, I did not. Oh my gosh. So I will send you this video. It's hilarious. And for all of you listening who haven't seen it, head over to the Success Center community and check out the video. But this girl literally has a nail stuck in her head. And she's talking to her boyfriend or husband, whichever relationship he is. And she's talking about this massive headache that she has. And he says, you know, I think what we need to do is get the nail out of your head. And she says, you're always trying to fix stuff. It's not about the nail. And yeah. he's like, well, I, I think it might be a little bit about the nail. Like, I think if we took the nail out of your head, your head would stop hurting. And she's like, no, I just need you to listen, right? And it's yeah. that like, we may have all the answers, but if the other person isn't receptive to hearing them, mm -hmm. it's so hard to step back into that place and just listen while you're looking at somebody Absolutely. as ridiculous as yeah. that and and it got so frustrating with me and my wife because i didn't get that 
let's talk about the future for you. What do, what is the future hold? What are you excited for that's coming up for you personally or professionally? What do you think are the um, big goals that you've set for yourself, the mountains that you get to climb? Like what's coming up that Drake is excited for? I'm going to rewind you just a little bit because cool. we're going to kind of go off on a little tangent here, but this is a, one of the biggest things, main I love thing it. I want to chat with you on. And it's about the move that I made. So I did something that was scarier than scary. And I did this because I wanted to make those big goals and I'll get to those in a minute, but we're going to start a few months ago when my landlord called me at the end of February and, um, on a Saturday. And I looked at this and I'm like, Oh, my landlord's calling me at 12 noon on a Saturday. Why is he calling me? And I'm like, Hmm, I bet he's going to tell me that he's going to sell the place. Oh no. Okay. So I, I picked up the phone. I'm like, Hey, what's up, Joseph? He's like, Hey, 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 man. And it's so funny. He's so funny because whenever he talks to me, he knows that he's got bad news to tell me. He always stutters. Really good dude. And he's like, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he and I've uh we've 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 decided we're gonna, we're gonna sell the place. So sorry, I have to tell you this. Yeah, I'm, yeah, picturing, no worries, go for it. I'm picturing in my head the guy from Office Space, the boss <laughs> from Office Space. Like, we're 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 gonna need you to come in and, and work yeah, a yeah. Saturday. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, anyway, sorry. Squirrel, <laughs> you keep going. Yeah. So, um, and then I hung up the phone and I remember thinking about it and I got on so immediately. So I'm looking at local places. I'm like, wow, dude, Brent has gone up a lot. Most of the, the houses in Camarillo are older, but we were in a nice new town home that was recently built. We're looking at, at increasing our rent up to 3000, at least 3000 or 3,200, possibly even up to 3,400 to stay in the same town. And I'm like, this is not looking good. I'm calling a few places right off the bat. Nobody's, nobody's picking up the phone. And then I, uh, I finally tell the wife a few hours later. And of course she freaks the fuck out because the wife does not like change. So I finally tell her and she's like, oh my God. And then, uh, so she starts looking and I start looking and it wasn't until the next day that I just basically told her, I'm like, honey, uh, you're looking at moving to the ghetto in Oxnard um, or paying more money. And, you know, at the time, just like everybody else in SoCal, we got a bunch of bills, don't have, don't have a lot of savings. She said, Hey, what about Vegas? I'm like, Hey, yeah. What about Vegas? All and the cool people live in Vegas. Hashtag facts. <laughs> like serious. Like all my friends are here that Tuesday, we decided on Vegas and it was such a gnarly rental market. Cause I made some calls and I'm like, damn, I'm not getting through to these people. So I hired a realtor to help me find a rental here in, in Las Vegas. Cause you go on Zillow and, and you contact these people. Oh yeah. We already got five, six applications in. Yeah. This, this sucks. So I hired a rental, uh, a realtor, which was funny because it was a relative of my landlord's realtor that was selling our place in Camarillo. It's like, Oh, I know a realtor. His name's Kim. Go, go hit him up in Las Vegas. I'm like, okay, cool. So I hit him up and I told him my goals. I said, Hey, by the end of the weekend, I want to have a place locked down and I want to have it dialed in Friday, spent all day looking for a place, went to seven different places and nailed one down by the end of the day. And it was funny because my realtor was giving up on me for the <laughs> middle of the day. And I'm like, look, dude, I'm figuring this out like right now. And it's funny because we ended up going back to this house, which was uh, the second house I looked at. Uh, we now have this 1800 square foot house. That's gorgeous. Um, by itself. Um, uh, not a condo, this quiet cul-de-sac and just awesome. So we ended up getting that house on that Friday, uh, sent in the application, got that application approved on Monday, put the deposit down on Monday. And then two weeks from that Monday, uh, which was the 16th of March, we were moved into the new place. That's how fast this wow. happened. And another sign, and I'm, I'm texting people this picture of ships burned. I'm sure you've seen it. Because if, if you're you're in self-development and, and all that, you've seen this picture. Yeah, I love the burn the ship story. Burned. You can't get back because the ships are gone. And then when I did tell my boss, at first he was receptive to the idea, but then um, he talked to me like a week later and came out and physically talked to me and basically was like just being a fucking dick. My boss basically said, oh, well, you should just resign. You know, your family's out there. You should just resign. Their, their, their office is super slow. So you're not going to get that transfer anytime soon. It's not going to happen. He was just saying, oh, it's just not going to happen. He was just being a dick. And the reason why he was being a dick 
was because he was frustrated. And he's one of those bosses that, that like, if he gets frustrated or whatever, he likes to take it out on the team, on his team. Yeah. It's just the way he is. But it was what I want, what I needed to hear at the time. Because the thing is, is that nothing in, in this life is guaranteed. And I was making such a big move that, you know, I may join this team out here and may not like it because they may be more aggressive. They may more, they may even be more assholes than he is. Am I going to like that? You know? And, and I've all the while I've been, you know, thinking about building my pirate ship. Like you, you've got multiple pirate ships. You got a whole fucking fleet. <laughs> so I'm working on getting my first pirate ship going and I, you know, I need to work harder on that. So that conversation got the thing in my head. I'm like, look, dude, you need to fucking figure out a way to get out of this and into something that's way better working for yourself, being the boss of your own life. And, you know, just like what you're saying in the beginning here, where it's just like, you know, how do you see yourself in the future and what are your goals? And, you know, how are you, how do you want to live your life? What does success mean for you? My mastermind is called the design your life mastermind. We talked about this a little bit before we hit record. And I, I, I called it the design your life mastermind because I believe that we need a blueprint for our lives. And it's really interesting because you deal with blueprints every single day. This is what you do in your career. And you know, the, challenges that come across with having something that just looks good on paper and isn't working out the way that you want it to work yeah. out in real life and adjusting to that and and how that all works. So when you take what you know from the construction industry and you translate it into the personal development world, what is a key piece of tactical advice you can give someone for how to design a blueprint for their life that they can follow? Well, I think that the first thing is, is that understanding not to be a victim, not to dwell on the past, um, understanding what you really want, really be authentic with yourself, being real with yourself. Like, what do you want? Don't conform to others. Have those real world goals. Understand there's going to be failure along the way. Just focus on going forward. And just like at Worlds, like we tell everyone, it's not about how fast you go. It's that you keep going. Just yeah. lift your fucking foot up, put it in front of front of the other fucking one. Just boat, boat, and there boat, are times boat. like, man, so my worlds that I ran, my third lap took me five hours to run yeah. five miles. And like my mom was in the medical tent. Like, did she like fall down somewhere? Right. And I had to take almost all of the penalty laps on that lap because my grip strength gave out and it was like, and so it really was like seven miles. Cause that was the year that they had like two miles of penalty laps. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I remember like that, that same mentality of like, I don't turn around, you know, you only walk one way. Like once you start like turning around is not an option. And, um, so that, that idea of it doesn't matter how fast you get there. Like that is a true statement. Like I was slow as fuck and I, and I still took so much from that event. I tell people all the time that like you, and I hadn't had my cataract surgery yet. So I didn't have my contacts in. I couldn't really see anybody. It was night. Like it really was not the recipe for um, a safe race. And you were by yourself too. (laughs) And I was by myself. Um, And you find out who you are. I mean, you know this as well as anybody else in the Tough Murder community. When it is one, two o'clock in the morning and your internal clock thinks that you should be in bed and you've been up now for 30 hours preparing for this race and doing this race, like you find out who the fuck you are. Oh yeah. When when you're, you don't want to give up. So we have talked about some absolutely amazing things on this episode and I have enjoyed every single minute of it. We um, really dug into, you know, the idea of pushing through failure making sure you don't conform to people. And I absolutely love that advice. And the burn the boats, man, that's one of my favorite stories ever. The rental truck that pulled up, guess what was on the fucking side of that rental truck? Oh no, what did it say? It was a burning ship. Of course it was. It was a burning ship on the side of the friggin' U-Haul. And I sent a picture of that to to the wifey and, and pit mama. I'm like, look at this, look at this. 
It's so perfect. Well, I want to um, be respectful of your time. So let's go ahead and wrap up with a quick random round. I'm going to throw a couple questions at you. Sure. Okay. Go for it. All right. First of all, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? See, I don't like to dwell on the past. I'd like to go. In the it future. doesn't have to be past. You can go in the future. I'd, I'd love to see, you know, what things are going to turn out, you know, in, you know, 20 years down the line, just like what's going to happen. If you could have any career other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Oh God, that's a good one. Um, just a badass entrepreneur like you. Like, oh, thank I want to be Amber. Oh. Like seriously, you are a badass. Like seriously, you're making your fleet of pirate ships sail in the motherfucking seas of financial freedom. So whatever that looks like, I don't exactly know, but I want to be able, you know, I, I would love to keep um, giving value to people, um, continue, you know, being a positive influence on people's lives and uh, doing whatever I can to make people better in this world. Um, you mentioned before your love of personal development. Do you have a favorite personal development book? Oh, geez. 75 hard. Just went through that. It's great. Great. Quick read. Those that haven't read it should. Uh, Andy Fursella is just amazing, as you know. Um, there's David Goggins' book. I just went, I'm just in the process of going through that. It's an amazing book. So good. Are you yeah. reading it or are you listening to the audio audiobook? I'm I'm listening to I'm I'm reading it. Now, is the audiobook different? Because does is. he talk about other things? Oh, yeah. So awesome. there's very few books that I like, I believe, you know, some people like to read, some people like audiobook, and, and there's yeah. not a difference. But there are a few books where I tell people you have to listen to the audiobook. And his book is one of them, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. He does it podcast style. Nice. So um, his narrator will read the book, and then they have a five to 15 minute podcast episode afterwards about the chapter and oh, like him digging into like, the stuff that, commenting that on the book. So, I, and and those of you that have not read his book and know his story really need to to dig into that. You talk about somebody that was had everything thrown at him as far as a challenge dealing with it and growing up in a very rich family life to going to nothing because his mom had to make a very hard decision and then he was the only black kid in the community he was in dealt with a lot of racism. A lot of adversity and then uh finally making a very hard decision in his life and switching shit up and then becoming a very successful no holds barred no victim mentality motherfucker that guy is amazing i yeah, love that guy is. eric thomas is another good one i love listening to his his um his uh his his youtubes and the stuff that he does his podcast is great he's amazing he um, is awesome Oh, yeah. Um, Those are some great options, some yeah. great options for people to dig into. And I definitely second the David Goggins book. I've, I've listened to the audio book about five times and every single time I get yeah. something different from it. It's amazing. Um, and the last question, because I know you love music as much as I do. What is your pump up song? What is it that you listen to when you just can't have a bad oh, day? Oh man, I get really excited about, um, lately it's been gunship. I love that band it's 80s synth 80s synth music i love cell dweller um uh end of the empire it's amazing that's cell awesome. dweller is a, a band that nobody knows about but he's basically like a trent Reznor. he's got like five different groups and he's like the main member and he just does a bunch of synth a bunch of rock and he just blends it all into this badass fucking thing and he's he's out of detroit he's got cell dweller circle of dust and um scandroid uh, which I love. All three of those bands are amazing. I, all of his stuff, it just pumps me up and gets me. So. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. We will put your um, social media links in the show notes so that people can connect with you and continue this conversation. Your story continues to inspire me. You continue to inspire me. Thank you so much for you coming inspire on me, and girl. sharing. Shit. Thank you. High five. High five. Um, <laughs> And as we wrap up for everybody listening, um, the resources that we talked about in this episode will be in the show notes as well. And as a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Mastermind. You can click on the link in the show notes to schedule a call with me and we'll see if you're a good fit for that. Ian, thanks so much again. I hope Thank you have you. a fantastic day. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in, the name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.